Welcome to episode 216 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. And today we caught up with John Rodriguez, otherwise known as J-Row. He currently works at Stage 2, doing tech brand marketing and strategy, helping bring hardware startups to market. We've been hanging out with him for a while at Combine, and uh, yeah, he works in a completely different world than we do uh, with all the hardware work that he does. Thought it'd be pretty interesting to get him on the show and talk about something a little different for a minute. Yep, we had a great time catching up with J-Row. Uh, let us know what you thought after the show. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM, or come join us in Spectrum on our community at spectrum.chat slash specfm. There's a whole Design Details channel in there. This episode will be posted there right away, so get at us. Uh, with that, let's get into episode 216 with John Rodriguez. Okay, great. Um, hey, guys, thanks for having me. Uh, John Rodriguez, everyone calls me J-Row. Uh, at uh, one of my past lives, it was two John Rodriguez's, and I ended up with... Wait, you were two separate John Rodriguez's? It was t- literally two people who had the same name, and uh, which is not too weird, right? Considering it's like the most popular uh, first name. First name, yeah. And the most popular last name in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Merged together, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably a fuck ton of us. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I ended up with uh, the misnomer, j And I hated it at the time because it was, I guess, in the 90s, J-Lo was up and coming. And I was like, I guess like, your, your choices were like J-Rod or J-Row, right? Exactly. Like, <laughs> so I got the J-Row thing because she no was choice. doing the J-Lo thing, uh-huh. right? And I'm like, oh, it's bullshit. My ass isn't even that big. You're like, what the fuck? People and, are going to be uh, all kinds of confused. Right. Oh, <laughs> seriously. That was a lot. It's a lot of confusion. And my wife calls me Ro, but don't call mm-hmm. me Ro because that'll just be weird. Okay. Sure thing, Ro. Yeah. No problem, Ro. <laughs> <laughs> I did this to myself. My middle school science teacher called me B-Lo at the J-Lo. Well, that's a at, thing. During the J-Lo. Well, this was post-J-Lo craze. Yeah. Well, you so, were born post-J-Lo craze. So while that nickname has not stuck, right. I did feel that pain right. slightly as an adolescent. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I wasn't an adolescent. I was I was a grown man with dealing with hopes this. and dreams and feelings, okay? <laughs> and, and then and they and strong them. And then J-Lo. <laughs> yeah, and then J-Lo came along, and I'm like, we don't even look the same, you know? Well. So, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's how I ended up with those uh, three letters, and I now own the URL, which you can purchase from me if you're interested. J hyphen R O. That's right. Dot com. Biz. You're selling that. Uh, if if somebody wants it. If, if the, there's <laughs> yeah. no, there's yeah. never price, not a price. If the price is right. If the price is right. Yeah, definitely. I guess I could say the same thing about basically anything in my life, you know. Right. Like your kidney. My kidney. Right. <laughs> right. Give it up if the price is right. Somebody needs that kidney more than you do, bro. Yeah. Blow. Hilo. Wow. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I, sh- I should not have said it. should never have You told it. it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Row and blow. Yeah. All right, J-Row. All right. What are you working on these days? Well, um, you know, we're... Uh, uh, what am I working on these days? God, so many weird little things. Um, so I'm working on the next iteration of uh, My Life in the Valley. How's that? Okay. Yeah. Tell me more. So it includes... Not being uh, in the valley? <laughs> it, yeah. It includes uh, Tiburon, which is kind of interesting. That's a, that's a new fish. development. Got it. 
It includes, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, working with uh, friends at uh, Combine and mm-hmm. kind of starting a community there, getting people uh, fired up about, uh, you know, what I like to think is like a very collaborative, creative environment uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that we hope will crack a lot of, you know, Topo Chico's at, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Topo Chico's Topo the Chico best. changed I mean, my life. Guys, changed my life. We're trying to bring a little bit of Austin to Soma. You did right? it. I mean... That's what we're trying to do. For people that don't know, can you just say what Topo Chico is? Topo Chico. We can change lives en masse right now. Yes. Topo Chico is the ultimate mineral water. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. It is the fizziest, Mm -hmm. bubbliest, Mm -hmm. most effervescing. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. (laughs) It's the most effervescing-est. Effervescing-est? That shit uh, is effervescent. bubbliest. Let me effervescent. Mm-hmm. Topo Chico, bubbliest, right? There's a taste to it. It's it has a total like a taste to it. Yeah. So, the minerals so come let, out, yeah. I'll give you some back, background around Topo Chico. So, when I was a kid, uh, my parents uh, grew up and met in Laredo, Texas, okay, border town. And my dad would always bring crates of that shit up to Austin, okay? And like we never touched it because we thought it was disgusting, right? Because it was like it ha- it was like a medicinal thing, mm-hmm. right? And so it was very much like rooted in this cult, like medicinal thing. Like you drank one where you had an upset stomach, hmm. right? And you're like, well, I mean, like, people do like Sprite or yeah. Seven yeah, Up or whatever, similar, and saltines, right? yeah, and, and you know, Sprite cures all. Right? That's right. <laughs> so, like, I think that's their marketing line. Yeah, exactly. Drake, so Topo Sprite Chico, cur- cures all. <laughs> Topo Chico and a, a, a lime wedge. Shit. Right. That's what you drank when your tummy was upset or whatever. Somewhere along the line, like somebody realized that that shit's delicious, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I did that a long time ago. Uh, Basically, because I started putting, I, I started using it as a mixer. It's an amazing shit mixer. Like it just adds that right bubbly to whatever you want. So, like if you ever need club soda, topo it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we used to make a this drink. is not a paid sponsorship, by the way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're just advocates. <laughs> yeah, brand advocates, brand ambassadors. Compl- yeah, I mean, we've literally bought most of the shit that's in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> it's at the office. Right. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, uh, we used to make a drink called the Fizzy Bitch. And the Fizzy Bitch was uh, an ounce of Tito's Vodka, another awesome brand. An ounce of whatever juice you had barely mattered, some kind of citrus, uh, and some kind of simple syrup or sweetener, maybe honey or agave, and top the rest of Topo. Done. Mm. Delicious. Mm-hmm. It's like the ultimate summer drink. Should make those sometime. Yeah, I will make you some. Sounds good. Yeah, it's really, really good. So Topo is a is, is a is a great uh, mixer. So like a fizzy margarita almost. Basically, yeah, exactly right, exactly right. So um, I would love to know how like it became like the hip thing, right? Because like now, like I'll travel to New York and I see it in Brooklyn, and I'm like, I can't even get that shit in California. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think Lacroix like suddenly out of nowhere became popular and so now people are like oh fizzy drinks are good especially if they're not soda i'm so not into Lacroix. it's so bad it's Topo so Chico, bad 
changed the way I think about LaCroix because I used to really like LaCroix. Then I had a Topo Chico and then I didn't like LaCroix. Right. Instantly. Totally. It's bizarre. It's ruined yeah. it for you immediately. Yeah. I spent a, you know, uh, a terrible amount of time trying to figure out how to reduce the cost of my Topo Chico consumption. Right. Spreadsheets like and seriously, yeah, <laughs> logistics. Should make a fan blog called Topo Geeko. Sure. So <laughs> you do that. <laughs> I'm literally trying to get uh, a sponsor. Uh, I want to get cartons of that shit nice. next to the office. Mm-hmm. I'm about it. Yeah. it's like the first place I make a beeline to when I walk in the door is fridge. Yeah, get that Topo. Yeah, Eve. I think Topo should sponsor this podcast now because this is probably the strongest endorsement we've ever had on the I show. I will send it to, uh, what's that brand manager's name? God, I've been stalking him. Tony, forever. I think, right? Uh, Randy. Tono Chico. <laughs> I think it's Randy Chico. Shit. Randy Chico, if you're listening. Um, we'll figure it out. Anyway. <laughs> his can, name's can like Can we Rogers, his like name in post? These idiots. <laughs> yeah. Let's put his name in post. Yeah, we'll edit it really yeah. cleanly. Yeah, okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Insert name. Okay. Hey, reaching. So, uh, besides your Topo Chico brand advocacy, <laughs> what do you do right now? Yeah. Um, so, besides fanboying Topo Chico, what else are you working on? <laughs> right. um, so, uh, I run a marketing consultancy called Stage Two, as you know, aside from what we do at Combine. But uh, Stage Two brings hardware startups to market, essentially. We mm-hmm. run a uh, kind of a temporary CMO model. Where we help. What's a CMO model? So when I say CMO, I, I'm talking about a uh, kind of a top level uh, marketing officer. Chief marketing officer. Right, chief is marketing the, officer. Yeah. yeah. So basically like marketing director, marketing officer for hire. Right. So everything that will fall under comms at that level, we try to take on and basically piecemeal the team around what your needs are. Right? Mm-hmm. The idea is that a lot of times, most times, uh, you know, a hardware startup is a small group of te- uh, small group of people trying to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Their heads down, trying to execute. They're usually engineers, and and honestly, it's not just hardware, right? It's like I mean, that's most every startup, startup right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just you know, couple couple people trying to like make something work. Everyone wants to feel the dreams at where you build it and they'll come, and you don't have to worry about marketing. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, marketing, just like you know, design, mm-hmm. tends to come later in the process, right? Uh, aside from the the MVP or the prototype or whatever it might be. So um, uh, that's the kind of service that, that, you know, we provide is, okay, cool. Hey, we can come in, we can uh, kind of, you know, quickly iterate on value proposition, go-to-market strategy, audience, right? All the basic stuff that, mm-hmm. that maybe they did, hopefully they did, a lot of times they didn't. And, and really try to help establish like a true north for them, you know, especially as they get into like real product uh, kind of uh, directions. Okay. Earlier well, the better, obviously, but it yeah. doesn't always work out that way. Could mm-hmm. you share an example? Someone you've worked with? Sure. So uh, let's see. So early on, like we worked with uh, uh, Tropcam, Right, and Dropcam was a very uh, was very much a hack. It was like a, a back end that they attached to a regular connected security camera. Mm-hmm. Right, it had an Ethernet port, and they put a Dropcam sticker on it. And it was like, okay, cool. It's gonna like do all these things and blah blah blah. And we really had to like help them figure out, well, what exactly 
is it doing and who's going to pay for that mm -hmm. and at what price point and you know is it a security thing right because the security camera market uh, existed i mean essentially that's mm -hmm. what they did it took a security camera and attached this back end to it right mm -hmm. and a sticker and a sticker. Oh, yeah, the sticker. Sticker's was, important. Sticker's oh, key. Critical. Critical <laughs> sticker, right? <laughs> That's a great band name. Critical sticker. Critical sticker. Um, so, yeah, they had a critical sticker, but they didn't have much else. Like, they didn't have, like, a story, and, and uh, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, one of the things we worked on was getting away from, like, this really scary notion and getting closer to, like, it's monitoring, it's it's like a lifeline back to like something that might be happening, but it's not always a fucking burglar, mm -hmm. right? Or it's not always like Jack the Ripper, yeah, like, right? And watching a, your dog, exactly. or like a baby or whatever. Exactly, more yeah. lifestyle focus and less mm -hmm. like because you can't, you know, it's hard to sell like insurance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and people don't react to that until it actually happens to them because people are more optimistic than they should be. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? but, but it's also because like you know they they recognize the trend is you know that that it's unlikely to hopefully go down that path. So anyway, so that's, uh, you know, one example. Um, Sphere is a good example too. I mean, they had a, a product that was very much a, uh, a early hack. Um, you know, are they, were they a toy? Were they a, uh, it was like a very niche toy until Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, it's, so what we did for them was we, uh, we worked to position them beyond the sphere of just a simple remote control toy, mm -hmm. right? And turn them into a, more of a gaming platform. Interesting. Right, so that anything could be applied to that, right? And uh, and yeah, there's kind of like an AR game with it or something. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. And again, it was just enough to get them to that next step, right? Mm -hmm. What really saved them was, you know, as you know, some kind of affiliation with Disney and and, you know, now they... Are all over the place, mm -hmm. but uh, as a you know, one hundred dollar remote control ball, it's tough sell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the 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 market yeah. can only bear so much of that, yep. right? And it's a fine line between like, you know, um, uh, Target and Radio Shack, I guess. You know, like there's only there's only so many of those you can sell. Mm -hmm. so. um, another example would be. Uh, 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 we worked with People People, a Swedish design agency on a transparent speaker. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, it was funny, they had a, uh, it's a great group of guys and they just, they really just needed like a, a, you know, some Silicon Valley advocacy, I think at that stage, right? Mm -hmm. Where they had a really great design that they made. They I've put seen the, it everywhere. It's gorgeous. Well, yeah, and and if you, uh, but did you ever see one until I brought one to the office? I didn't see one in person. Yeah, no. yeah. So the way I met those guys, pretty good story. But uh, uh, they kind of went viral in like 2013, like they released the render or something like that, and people were like, "Oh my god, it's dope!" and everyone loved it and stuff. But it didn't exist, right? Um, and so they were trying to figure out how they're going to do that. Uh, fast forward a couple months, I'm at, I'm at uh, CES in Vegas, and I see this dude on a pallet with that speaker on the pallet, like in front of like everybody. Uh, and I'm like, 
what the fuck? What is this? You know, we start talking and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I totally saw this. Like, what are you doing? And he's literally there like trying to get somebody to help him build it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hmm. yeah, this is a total mock, but we think we have something here, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and so we kind of helped him figure out, okay, well, what would that look like? And, you know, and of course it's really hard at that stage because consumer electronics is super sensitive to pricing. Mm-hmm. Right, there's a lot of people to pay along the way, um, so it doesn't always tr- translate, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but they've gone on to do great things with it, right? It's they've kept it very much a kind of a high end piece. Uh, you know, it's not really a, a you know, you're not going to build and sell millions of them, mm-hmm. but uh, it serves its purpose as a uh, as part of the funnel for them for to get design work essentially, right? Mm. So that makes sense. Yeah. How long have you been doing this kind of work with stage two? So I joined stage two in uh, 2011 when I moved to the valley or when I moved to the city and took over about three years ago. Okay. Yeah. What was that process? Uh, so what up? My partner got poached by one of our clients, which happens quite a mm-hmm. bit in the agency world, right? Um, yeah, it was kind of an interesting, uh, you know, interesting uh, transition. What happened with Stage 2? So Stage 2 has been around for quite a bit. I mean, it was founded by a gentleman named Jeremy Toman. He came out of Slingbox. And uh, when they launched Slingbox, it was really hard to explain what Slingbox did, Mm -hmm. right? Because it was kind of like completely new. It was time shift and play shift of of live TV content and recorded content. It was like you didn't really even – like now you say you TiVo something, right? You didn't have that then. So – I was really excited about it because I had uh, like rabbits. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was early. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when I saw this at Best Buy, for some, I was like, holy shit, I can attach this to the TV downstairs and play it on my TV upstairs. Yeah. This is the greatest thing. Because before I had to hook up, like we had direct TV because we lived way out in the country and that was all we could get. And I hooked up a direct TV box like right next to the wall outside my bedroom and ran uh, the cable through the like power port. I like pulled the this power socket out and like ran a cable through so I could get TV in my room without my parents knowing. Sounds yeah. safe, yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. But when I saw Slingbox, I was like, oh my God, I can actually have TV in my room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and so it it took some splaining. Yeah. Right, as they say. So that guy released Slingbox. Yes, thank you. Um, so he released Slingbox and they had to really explain what it did. Like it was a, it, it took explanation, right? You got to take a bunch of kids who want TV in their room. And like- right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, it was in that process of explaining and, and getting Slingbox into market that he realized this is a issue, right? For new and emerging technology, it's like really hard sometimes to like, you know, explain what you do in such mm-hmm. a way that, that you can get it across quickly. So uh, when Slingbox got sold to EchoStar, he started Stage 2. And, uh, you know, they worked with Waze. They worked with uh, uh, Boxy, uh, Dropcam, like I mentioned, was wrapping up when I joined. Um, And uh, what happened after I joined, actually, is uh, and what really made Stage 2 what it is now is, you know, 2011, 2012 was like, suddenly like people were crowdfunding everything right you had a massive drop in the price of like rapid prototyping techniques and so so suddenly you had like access to capital for the crowd 3d printing and 3d printing and all that was just like cool anyone can do it um 
and uh, and tech press just started eating this shit up, mm-hmm. right? So it just became a, a machine. So we've just been involved in a number of different like quick go to market, you know, independent hardware projects. Uh, most of them have gone on to be, get you know acquired, um, or you know, some run out of money or uh, whatever. But um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. How do most people start building hardware these days? Yeah, yeah, this, that's a it's actually uh it's 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 hard right hardware mm-hmm. is hard what it, it's right there in the name yeah it's it not is. easyware yeah it would be called uh, simpleware or whatever yeah. right um <clears throat> what most people do and and uh where people get stuck uh unfortunately is they have an idea you know they they may have a some sort of mvp but because it's consumer electronics, like you, you know, you're trying to build something that's you, know, you can imagine in people's living room or in the bedroom or whatever, right? So design is very top of mind, right? Mm-hmm. Usually, and so what a lot of people do is they'll spend, you know, the early part of uh, the war chest on building some kind of looks like model that can then be shopped around. Right to 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 gain additional investment, right? Which is the 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 massive differentiation against like a hardware MVP, uh, a, a software MVP versus hardware MVP is that uh, you know a software MVP, MVP can have like a very simple demo and it's easy to like show and duplicate and replicate and even share. But on the hardware side, it's super, super difficult, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of like things that you haven't figured out on the manufacturing side yet. Right, there are things that there's there could be something as simple as a placement of a headphone jack or a button that's like that shit ain't gonna work, <laughs> and that's why if you're Apple, you just scrap both of those things exactly, and then you put a, a mohawk in the top of the phone. <laughs> right, Classic. is that what is that what they're calling it now? It's the notch. That's what, oh, Brin, the that's notch. what Bryn's calling yes. it. <laughs> if you draw a smiley face underneath it, it looks like a mohawk. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Dude, that could be an accessory. We should talk. Let's talk after this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> New startup idea. Yeah. Cover up a bunch of your phone. <laughs> Cover the screen with a smiley face. Yeah, so I think that, uh, anyway, so that's that's usually the path, right, is, is okay, this is what it is, and, uh, you know, some design agency might get 50 to 100 to 500K to, like, give you the 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 prototype, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Doesn't have any guts in it. Right, but it's like cool. Classic designers, <laughs> classic. <laughs> then the CEO's got this thing that he's either you know paid for out of pocket, or and, and, but basically he's walking around with this widget, right? This mm-hmm. empty shell, and um, so we've seen. I've seen a lot of that, and those are usually things that we have to step away from, right? Because it's just it's you're going about it the wrong way, unfortunately. And you see why people do it, right? Because they're like, okay, I have to build something. That people are that's going to generate this thing lust in such a way that they're going to be able to like sell the thing. You know, they could see on store shelves and in people's living rooms and their lives, those kinds of things. But unfortunately, uh, what does get lost there is uh, you know things like experience, right, and like mm-hmm. real usability and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Like we've had a couple projects where they get delayed because you know. Turns out you can't get around that little cool notch they did, and you can't plug in the HDMI. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> whoops, right? Yeah, 
<laughs> so anyway, um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, unfortunately, what crowdfunding does is it is it pushes a certain way, which is like, you know, the veneer is is, is very much build full. a husk. Yeah, build the husk, sell the husk. You know, spend you know fifty to seventy thousand dollars on a short on a great video, right? That's basically an infomercial. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And shop the thing around and, you know, wait for the money to flow in, unfortunately. And then they go try to build it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's tough. Hmm. In a perfect world for you, how would you switch that process? Like, let's imagine you don't have to do the Kickstarter thing. Is it, like, I could see why someone doesn't want to manufacture a shitty prototype yeah. to test the usability. Right, right. No, that totally makes sense. I, I I get it. I mean, I think that it's all about uh, I think it's all about experience, right? And most of these things have like some kind of mobile. Okay, so here's here's one thing that gets lost is the mobile component, right? There's always some kind of like interaction with the handset, right? Or 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 uh, you know, we've done a lot of uh, a lot of CE that involves the the you know the ten foot experience, the screen, the big screen, right? well, the the TV. CE being consumer electronics. Right. So like a lot of TV, based on, you know, kind of how we came up and the things that we've worked on, like we know a lot about that space. Well, a lot of times it's like, what is the f- the final experience, which is you interacting with the screen, whatever the screen is. And a lot of times that part doesn't get built to last. Mm. And it's like, that's where you should start first, honestly. And that's where like you could figure out, holy shit, I literally don't need this product. <laughs> right i am gonna save myself a whole lot of time and money exactly right because you figure out oh okay uh i can we've seen a lot of things that you know uh, a slight shift in strategy from the networks kills your project right because they realized that they didn't have to that, that they could extend their marketing spend or the advertising into just putting the shows online sure right gotcha. So um, anyway, stuff like that, right? So ideally you start with, okay, what is, why are you actually building this? What is the experience that they're going to have, right? Like it's it's cool to have it in your hand. It's really great to see it on a white shelf, right? Those kinds of things. It's great lighting. Right, great lighting. Uh-huh. Oh, it's amazing. Oh my God, <laughs> I can't wait to get one of those. Yeah. Like, but I literally don't ever turn it on. Yeah. Right. So I think that's kind of one of the things that can happen too is uh, the uh, that part comes along way too late. Uh, or going all over the place here but or like hardware takes a while to develop and sometimes in development like uh, someone solves your problem and that happened to everybody in, in you know what three four years ago when uh, 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 it became super easy to get around uh, streaming live content the networks were like fine we'll just put the shit online great that's what you want anyway right uh, it's about that time What's that? It's about time they did that. Yeah, totally, right? I mean, for them, it makes sense. I mean, they already have uh, advertising revenue, uh, you know, ba- uh, around commercials and everything that they broadcast. Now it's just a, an add-on for the for the streaming rights, right? But they've tried, you know, multiple different ways. And, like, there's been so many little products like Slingbox and all these that were, like, built to, like, yeah. get around these things. They've taken care of that for us now, right? Like, yeah. Super Bowl's online for free, those kinds of things. So anyway, there's like all kinds of pratfalls that can happen because the length of time that it takes, the budget that it takes to do it right, right? People get 
you know, limited by things like design and user experience and all that because they're just trying to make the thing work, you know. In the pixel design world, a lot of people make a choice between doing in-house work or going the agency route. Right. And the biggest drawbacks of the agency route that we've heard is, well, the pro is you get incredible diversity of projects, but the con is it's like a short-lived thing and it's not always easy to tell if you are successful because then the project goes on, you're on to the next thing. Right. So I'm curious where you would fall on that side of things in terms of how you enjoy the agency experience or um, maybe you've approached it differently where you actually do get this like long-term investment in a product and get to iterate on that over time and maybe work around the agency model. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, for um, from my perspective... You know, I've really enjoyed uh, being on the agency side of the table just because we do get to see a lot of different things, right? And that's one of the things that, that was a strength for me, right? Is I could like look at a lot of different things and like really try to understand, okay, I think that's something that people might get excited about, right? But it, they do turn out to be short-lived things, hmm. right? And short-lived things don't have a, you can't associate a high price point to it. Right, so that's kind of where you run into trouble, I think, right? It's like, cool, that does that one thing. Great, now what, right? There's a there's kitchen drawers all around the fucking world full of connected devices that, are, that haven't been plugged in in forever. Uh-huh. Now, being more uh, in-house or owning it more in-house, I mean, it just takes so much capital, right, to, to manage, right? Especially long-term, and, uh, you know, because you, you, you have to give up equity, you have to, you know, there's there's just so many trade-offs. So I think that's why, you know, agencies like mine, uh, you know, a, a smaller design shops, like really cashed in throughout this whole thing is because, uh, you know, because there's, there seems to be a certain kind of playbook for getting these things to market quickly, right? Or at least the appearance of getting it to market quickly tends to be, you know, kind of the, unfortunately, the end product is like, cool, how fast can we get to that Yeah. so that we can, you know, sell a couple thousand and then, you know, start sniffing around for the next round. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't have a lot of experience being uh, in-house, uh, particularly in this Um like the, the 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 new thing that we're doing now is really interesting because now you know instead of an agency perspective, we're looking at it from a very different lens. You know, like like we want to help the companies grow, right? So uh, so that's something we'll have to figure out. Like, how do you change that hat? Mm-hmm. So we sort of touched on it, but how how did Kickstarter and slash or three D printing change the work you're doing at? Uh, at stage two. At stage two. Well, it just it just brought everyone out of the woodwork, right? Like all the hobbyists, mm-hmm. all the the people who had like this idea. Seems right? like a good thing. Oh, it was a great thing. Yeah. I mean, for for I mean, business was brisk, right? It, like it made like this whole thing happen. Um. But uh, but a lot of that stuff is folded too. I mean, look at like you know things like uh, all up and down the channel, right? Like Fab. Mm-hmm. Fab, like those, all these, like you know, in point, uh, in points and endpoints all along, you know, hardware that just couldn't sustain because there wasn't enough good products, 
So it's like plenty of products, not enough good products, right? <laughs> that people used every day and felt like they did something. Hey, for same that. with apps. What's that? Same with software. Same with software. Yeah, except the just man, hardware's. Yeah, you can't ship hardware progressively. You can't. Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't scale the same way, and you know it just has all these these things. From my perspective, like what I've tried to do, especially in the last year, um, is you know product is product. Right from from a marketer's perspective, and 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 uh, you know before I joined Stage Two, I worked on you know you know things like at South by Southwest. I worked on you know just more broad ideas. How are we selling this thing? Right, it wasn't mm-hmm. always in a box. You know, it was like a, a an experience or a service or something. And uh, and so I've really like tried to go back to that. Like, okay, it doesn't always have to be this gadget, right? Um, it doesn't always have to be this thing that that uh, is associated with this thing lust, right? That's, mm-hmm. um, it's just like what, uh, it's just like a, uh, how does it help people? Like, what is it doing? So I've tried to really like focus on the core of that. Like, how do, how do I actually interact with startups? How do I actually interact with founders? How do I really associate, uh, you know, value outside of like consumer electronics type stuff? So. Mm-hmm. I want to hear how we got to this point. So you're from a border town in Texas. Right. Well, my parents are. Your parents are. Yeah. Where were you born? I'm from Texas. I was born in Oceanside, California. You were born in California? Yeah. Where Did you grow up here? Uh, we were here until I was like seven. Yeah, I was little. And then? My dad was a Marine at uh, uh, Camp Pendleton. So. Got it. Okay. Army brat. From there? Uh, Austin. To Austin. Yeah. And then grew up in Austin and went to high school in San Antonio. Okay. Yeah. Were you dabbling in hardware and design at that point in time? You know, um, so I've, uh, you know, I definitely like had the Commodore and did the basic and I used to write, write all kinds of stories and stuff. My thing has always been storytelling, right? Like, how do I tell a story? How do I, um, uh, how do I uh, associate uh, narratives, right? And like, like really try to like, get people from point A to point B. Um, something I did as a kid, I would write like all these, like if this, then that stories and make people go through them and we'd like build upon them. You know? Okay. Um, and I think it was in that process uh, where I really got into like uh, hardware, right? Because you had to connect the computer, right? You had to, uh, you know, put the video game up. You had to do all that stuff. So that just came very naturally to me. Uh, so I was always super, super interested in, you know, technology. Were you ever like super into D&D? Because that sounds like you just described D&D. <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, the, it's, it's really weird. I, I get that a lot. People are like, you look <laughs> I give off the D&D vibe. I do, I do. <laughs> well, you said if this and that story. And I'm like, oh, so Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Then. No, I, I, and I totally get it. I've, so I've, I've done the D&D thing, right? It just wasn't for me. There's something about it. It's like, eh, dragons. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> dragon. This feels like a dungeon. <laughs> if 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 there was like a, a like a robotic version, right? Uh, that might have that might have better like stoked my dork bone, right? <laughs> but um, <laughs> all right. I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah, <laughs> get your dork bone stoked. So um, anyway, so yeah, no D and D wasn't my bag. I, I just wasn't. Uh, I didn't mean to like sidetrack into D and D land. I was just like, this sounds like D and D. Yeah, I if if we're playing D and D here today, I, I gotta tell you, I, I 
I'm limited on time. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to start again. <laughs> An adventure yeah. is what they're called. Right. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not start an adventure. No. Let's not settle Catan. See. <laughs> well, you don't like settling Catan either. I, just you know, just what? picking on everything, yeah, man. What? What do you what, like? What, what, like? Do you even you enjoy like Snipperclips? Do you even enjoy stuff? Mm. Oh my god, I love Snipperclips. <laughs> okay, I haven't played it. It's a game for Nintendo Switch. It's rad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's collaborative. We cut shapes out of each other. I love using snipper clips as a icebreaker for founders. Hmm. Hmm. Nothing better than trying to make two people who are supposed to be work together work together. Hmm. So rad. <laughs> you can see how bad it is. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like the only other thing you could do is like tie their, you know, right arms together and put a knife in front of them. And that just like sounds horrible. Jesus. Holy shit. Yeah. This is like saw. Yeah. This it's w- either well, snipper clips on you are removing Switch. You are removing body parts, but let's make them like cute little shapes that you're removing body yeah. parts from. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Brin gets it. Yeah. Um, so in high school, you got into technology hardware. I, earlier than that, I mean, you know, it's just, I was, I was raised on video games, you know, like, you know, I was born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, so like cable and video games and Atari. Mm-hmm. You know what I can really take it back to for me was uh, my dad worked at an arcade in Austin when I was a kid. And that was so fucking cool. Yeah. Dude, I was like maybe what, five, six, seven, something like that. Did you get free games? Duh. <laughs> so Space Invaders, yeah. like all these games I mean, that people were lining up for to your play. Your dad's basically Tron then, right? Oh, like- he was the Tronist. <laughs> <laughs> It was so rad. <laughs> and so like I you know, I, I remember like sitting there and playing like uh Space Invaders and what was what's another one? T Row. There he is. Rubatron. I can't remember. Anyway, I'm sitting there playing these games and there's kids like lined up waiting to get in before we open. And I'm like, this is the fucking coolest. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that's it's just a very much a you know, right time, right place thing. Um Did you ever pursue game design? No, not really. Um, yeah, so I was more interested in the physical elements of it, you mechanics, know? inputs. Yeah, yeah. Do you still um, play video games? I mean, my my. Uh, I mean, what I studied in school was filmmaking, right? Because I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to tell stories. It's going to get there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and part of that was also just the technology around filmmaking, right? Mm. Um, video and film and all that stuff. I was always super attracted to that kind of stuff. Um, and that's actually how I got started at South by Southwest was, uh, uh, you know, I went to UT. I volunteered on the film festival side in like 92, the first year they did film and interactive. And uh, yeah, I'm really aging myself here. How long has South by Southwest been yeah, around? Yeah, I didn't realize it was that long. Uh... Dude, I've been to like 28 South by's. Holy that, shit. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, so South so by's you have like it, an authoritative it... opinion on if it's still the same. Well, I mean, it's definitely not still the same, but it's, you know, it's, what, it's the vibe is still the vibe. Yeah, they let right. me talk there, so obviously, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously, Bar has, yeah, last year, yeah. When was your talk? Last year, when? yeah, that was when Saturday, <laughs> uh, the first morning. That was literally when the, the end of it. Everything, yeah, yeah it was a shift. <laughs> shit, <laughs> shit day, man. I felt disturbance in the force. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's, you know, I wanted to tell stories. So I, you know, uh, you know, went to UT for that and was like, uh, and promptly dropped out to work on films. Cause I was like, I was looking at the equipment they had and I was like, this is like not the stuff that I know that is available now. Right. This was like 
94, 93. And uh, I went and I, I went to a salesman in Austin who sold like Media 100. It's a system that every, all the broadcasters were starting to like go to. It was all digital and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, who have you sold this shit to? <laughs> right? And he gave me three names, and I just went and talked to all those guys. Smart. Yeah. And uh, and started, and like learned how to use the the stuff, and that led to like uh, a job on a film set, and then so that's how I got into it. And then when South By kicked off the Film Interactive Festival, I joined on the film side and did that for many, many years. Volunteering. And, volunteering. And then it turned into like a part-time gig, and then it turned into like this more than a part-time gig. Yeah. And then somewhere along the way, they realized, okay, this dude can talk. Right. <laughs> so they started sending me to like represent the festival. Huh. Um, like when nobody else would or could or whatever, didn't care. Um, and that was really cool. And honestly, that was my foray more into marketing and representation at that point was like just selling that vision of what we were doing back in Austin. Hmm. Yeah. This was... Time frame, uh, mid uh, early to mid nineties, and you were selling to people to like come attend or pretty to much, companies yeah. to yeah, pretty much like uh, you know other film festivals, mm -hmm. other conferences, other organizations, those kinds of things, right? So, yeah, did you ever get any formal education in marketing? Uh, all on my own. Yeah, yeah. Where? How did you learn, or what were the the best ways for you to learn that kind of stuff. I well, find, I mean, I like, took a, I, I, was, I don't know anything about marketing. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I didn't either. It just yeah. it was something that I uh, that you know I recognized I was good at. Right, it was uh, uh, distilling large, complicated ideas into very simple, digestible ones. Essentially, is kind of you know what I've been told my superpower is. So I had to go and learn like. Uh, the stuff that I thought was hard, which was like measurement and like all these other things, right? That that really allow you to turn that into something that that can be sold and put on a resume, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I just I would just take night classes. Um, took a bunch of classes at uh, Texas State. I audited a bunch of classes. I just bought all the books and yeah, tried stuff. It got particularly easy, particularly more easy after uh, after I started working with startups. Right, because then it was like talk about like fast iterative iterative processes where I could put things in play and be like, oh, that shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, when did that happen? When did you start working with startups? So that was uh, that was definitely after uh, after Twitter came to South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. Right. When Twitter came out, when Twitter came to South by, suddenly it was like all these. Everyone had a budget, and everybody wanted to replicate what 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 happened there right mm -hmm. um and uh that that led to working with more like accelerators and like like trying to help them figure okay what do you have right which is very similar to the stage two models like okay okay hold up what do you have what are you trying to do right and how much runway or budget or whatever do you have to spend right from very like you know ten thousand foot level um and then just trying to figure out how to break that down into two thousand foot you know as you go along so, um, uh, so that's probably the best training that I had, honestly, was just kind of quickly, uh, iterating with founders on, you know, how to, uh, gain mind share, 
how to gain customers, how to sell product, whatever it is, right? So, yeah. Hmm. What's been the the most common challenge that you've seen startups face when it comes to to doing this kind of stuff? I think like, you know, certainly startups challenge with like runway or product market fit. Mm-hmm. And then marketing is a whole other thing is like, how do you, even if you have product market fit and you're trying to now grow, to explain things clearly about yeah, you have to about do, what you're doing. I mean, generic marketing, you have to do sales, you have right. to talk to VCs, like you're selling a different pitch to each one of them too. Totally, totally. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, you, you said it right off the bat, it's the, the biggest issue I've seen is uh, a lack of understanding of product market fit, right? Because it's it's like, oh, cool, it does this thing. It's like, great, for who, mm-hmm. right? And do they give a shit? Yeah. And do they, are they willing to spend the price point that it's going to take you to deliver it to, to, to solve that problem for mm-hmm. them, right? That's been the biggest issue. And that was like one of the things that I've had to uh, do a lot of work on right, is figuring out how to, you know, how to put on that that lens for people to help them figure that part out. Do you know what I mean? Sort of, uh, like, if you had to give advice to people that are searching for product market fit, someone that's working on maybe a side project right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're early on in the company. First of all, like, maybe we can start with your definition of product market fit and then how to identify when you hit that. Sure. Well, I mean, I think my my first advice and 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 one of the things I'll ask anyone who approaches me about a project is like, "Cool, have you talked to the users? Mm-hmm. Like, have you actually talked to them?" And you're like, "Oh, well, we hired these guys." It's like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 shit, huh? <laughs> right, right. So that that to me is like, okay, cool. Who is the audience, and have you like watched them have this problem? How familiar are you with this problem? You know, like. You know, have do you have this problem? Mm-hmm. Right? Does your team fit the space? Yeah. So, so it's like that's and that's something that I think a lot of people overlook because they're like, "Well, but I have this thing." It's like, cool. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a tech demo. What's that? It's like a tech demo. It's a tech demo, exactly. Right? It's like, but we're gonna put this pretty skin on. I'm like, great. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know. So, um, for me, product market fit is like, you know, who's your audience? Are they willing to? You know, what what's the What's the, what are they willing to spend to solve this problem if, if they have the problem in the first place, right? And, uh, and then from a, 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 you know, from a, a company perspective, can your company be sustained by that audience, right? And if it can't, then A, why are you doing this? Or B, what's your next move, mm-hmm. you know? And those are the other kinds of things that unfortunately you learn the, that I've learned the hard way, right? Is like, okay, cool. Yeah, we launched X successfully, and uh, they sold through, and then they weren't able to get any further. Mm-hmm. And it's because we misjudged the audience size, or we misjudged the problem, or something to that effect. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. It does. So it just becomes very much a uh, okay. Let's take a big picture view here, and understand that you know you may have something that people might want, but you know who are they? Why do they want it? Like those kinds of things. And if you don't have a plan for your company long term, you know, let's think of something else. Yeah. Right. Or let's iterate now before you get into this problem. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah. So to get back on our timeline, you were South by for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And then Twitter happened. Twitter happened. And then it was suddenly all these startups that that were around. But prior to that, I was uh, primarily on the film side 
uh, you know, judging a lot of the the submissions. I ran a lot of the uh, film venues, the film volunteers, and and all that. Kind of worked my way up into that, and then uh, I helped start a, a music channel, music video channel in Austin. That was uh, uh, fun, but a complete disaster. <laughs> and uh, ah, yes, that yes. kind of thing. My favorite type. Uh, but yeah, it was like, like I said, after after Twitter came and did their thing, it was like suddenly everyone was like wanting to come and get a piece of that, and that's where I started like you know getting uh you know more exposure to like early stage like okay cool this is what we have this is what we're going to try to do how can you help right yeah and uh and that kind of became my my thing and eventually down the down the down the road i worked with uh uh capital factory which is a a kind of an accelerator um in uh in austin right? in austin yeah what did you do there so i ran marketing pr there yeah with josh bear and uh, the way I met him was he was an investor in the TV station that we tried to launch. And he and I hit it off. And when we launched this, it very much was like, a, that's actually how I met uh, Supa, Adam. So he, we both worked there. And the model there was like, cool, founder, insert name. Here's a little bit of money. Here's Adam and J-Ro, like, go figure out if you have something, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and, you know, oftentimes they didn't, sometimes they did. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I got into kind of, you know, working with uh, early stage, kind of figuring out, okay, cool, we're going to beg, borrow, steal, and kind of figure out how do we get you to that next stage, whatever it is, you know. Um, and I get this all the time. Like people are like, is that how stage two became stage two? It was like, kind of, sort of. Like it, I definitely, like when I joined stage two, you know, I'd moved here, I was wrapping up a gig. And uh, I was introduced by someone who uh, I worked with, uh, a PR firm that I worked with while I was at South by. I was like, you need to talk to these guys, right? Um, they knew I was into, they knew I was like kind of geeky and kind of into that stuff. And, but not uh, geeky enough to be into D&D. &D. Right, not <laughs> set some, that geeky. Set some boundaries right. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, um, uh, so I definitely brought my own flavor mm -hmm. to stage two, right? And one of the things that I did as I got further and further along with stage two is uh, I got more and more interested on the stuff that they that that startups really needed, which was fucking money, <laughs> right? And funding. Yeah. yeah. So we got deeper and deeper into like the, you know, uh, to your point earlier, it's like marketing involves so much, right? Well, it's like, what's the actual pitch, right? Like mm -hmm. what, how are we going to get to that point where we're not? crowdfunding or kickstarting and, and we can like really launch properly right so i got kind of further indoctrinated into that so why early stage <sighs> that's a good question um thank you like i see yes you're welcome <laughs> oh my god um you know it's just i i love the energy honestly um you know, I love the energy. Just how frantic it is and stressful. Yeah. <laughs> the stress of it all is intoxicating. Yeah, when, I got, when I got here, dude, I had hair straight as a bone. Right? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you don't, who don't know. Yeah, it was J-Ro might have the curliest yeah, hair I've seen ever. What's he, that? He beats Brian by a little bit. Yeah, your hair is much curlier. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah, but I like what you're doing with the... The, the cloud on yeah, the front. This cloud. is this is the unshowered cloud. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is Poop this ball. is yeah. really good audio content too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, <laughs> yeah. 
No, but you like the energy. I like the energy, and I like uh, it's. You know, I feel like it's an opportunity to. Uh, it's a great opportunity to enact like real uh, change, or like to to really help. You know what I mean? I imagine you've seen a lot of failure. I've seen a lot of failure. Yeah. I'd, does that bother you? No. You deal with it okay? I do. You know, it's 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 hard, but like it's it's uh, f- like I said, for me, it's part of the it's part of the process, right? Like you learn something from it, right? So, or you should learn something from it, right? I mean, I've got relationships with you know all the clients I've worked with. They go on to other things. They we always stay in touch. We always trade notes. Those kinds of things. But like, I I feel like I like like I said, for me, it's like okay, here's a playbook, right? Let's execute. Here's where, and like okay cool it failed where did it fail let's change that yeah right. stage three dot two yeah yeah on and on and on and 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 uh, I really like that right I really like strategy I really like strategizing again it's all about the narratives like what are we trying to do like what are we trying to get so I've I've just always been super attracted to that even in film right like even in film like uh, you know it's got so much pressure and uh push from colleagues in the 90s to like you got to move to LA J-Row oh my god move to LA right you're perfect go to go to LA and I'm like cool so go to LA I'm like fuck LA right this is terrible right um and I think it was again same thing on on that side I was more attracted to like independent film right the people who were like really trying to make something happen because they were passionate about it and I think there's a a, a level of passion that can get lost in a larger company Hmm. Or that I just I'm just not attracted to that. Does that make sense? Sure. You yeah. don't want to be working on a back lot. What's that? You don't want to be working on a back lot. No, and I just I just want to feel connected to it, right? And I want to give hmm. a shit. That's the other thing. It's like it's really hard to give a shit about something when you're working with a you know fifty thousand uh, person company, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's just like a somebody's mandate. You're not particularly attached to it, mm-hmm. right? With these types of things that we've worked on, a we tend to work on things we only care about. Right, even if it's a hard problem, it's like cool. I give a shit about that. I see that that could, you know, have legs. Right, mm-hmm. like part of my job is also to be able to, you know, understand the landscape and be like, oh yeah, these guys could change one thing and we're fucked. Right, but we're gonna work as fast as we can to get there and either get the company sold or get them onto the next thing, whatever it takes. So, um, yeah, it's the passion that, that I'm really attracted to. You know. Mm-hmm. And we've looked into uh, last year. I looked into uh, just because we know, I know so many people and have such a diverse background. I looked into like should we just launch our own thing, mm-hmm. you know? And it's funny. I took a, a, you know, two three months kind of looking into it, piecemealing it, you know, thinking about cost and just what what it would take to bring this this idea to market. It's literally like a like a connected music player, basically. Like something that's so small, just fit in your pocket, and it's streamed to your wireless headset. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked at all these different models, and then uh, you know, like one night, I was like, "Holy shit, I'm not ready to like hand over five, ten years of my life for that." Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I stepped away from it, and and so think that's yeah. something you'd want to get back to at some point. Yeah, I don't know. So you know, earlier you asked, and I, you know, I what I uh, you you asked what's the perfect scenario for a hardware product. Hmm. And uh, uh, for me is you need support. If it's hardware, you need support from the channel, which means you need like, you know, a lot of these deals, all the stuff that you see on the shelves, like they have, you know, uh, 
they have a, a order for those things. So they know that they can place it somewhere, right? Um, independent hardware startups don't have that, right? They, they, they build something, they put up the website, and they wait for clicks. And hope. Yeah, and it's super hard. You mm -hmm. know, it's 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 impossible. So um, ideally, you have some support from channel or distribution that will help you get that stuff out there. You know, um, so uh, uh, that's how, or if I would get back involved in that uh, is if someone was like, "Cool, we want to build this. Here's a bag full of money." I'd be like, "Cool." Well, that sounds nice. Yeah, that sounds very <laughs> nice. Thank you. But it um, has to be in a bag. I don't want this wire transfer shit. A well, bag or a truck. <laughs> a truck is good too. Bitcoin. No, I, if you someone know, I, hands you coins and says they're Bitcoin, you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a bag of Bitcoin. I, I, I think that's a that's actually my advice to a lot of these projects that I see, guys. Honestly, it's like go find a partner. Mm. Right, go find a partner to help you build that. Thing. Like in the market. Yeah. Yeah, go build it for them. Oh, but then I lose. Dude, you're going to lose that anyway. Like, <laughs> if you really want to see this through, right? And and especially if it's an you know, interesting team, it's like go pitch it in such a way that someone will be like, cool, we were going to build this anyway. Come build it with us. Yeah. Right? Because that happens quite a bit, right? Um, like push that aqua hire thing up front, right? Starts off with a simple partnership, right? And And you see more and more of that, right? You see like big companies like Flex or big companies like uh, Foxconn or whatever getting involved and like building these things to such a level to kind of test things out, right? I think those are great. I think I think they they take some of the risk out of, uh, you know, out of bringing that thing to market because you have that support, mm -hmm. you know, so. And what about filmmaking? Oh my God, filmmaking. So filmmaking is what I'm going to do when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do any on the side right now? Not really. I've, I've, I do write a lot of like little things that I see. I'm like, ah, oh, that'd be hilarious, you know? But, uh, I do feel like that, that'll be the thing that I do. And, you know, when I could. years, because our lifespans will be increased. Ex exactly. Threefold. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. When I'm, you know, on the space station, like bored, I'll be like, <laughs> no, I'm going to create a film. I'm going to go down to Earth and use a set. <laughs> film in space. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like um, the reason filmmaking, the reason I stepped away from it was just because I saw firsthand what, uh, how difficult it was to get distribution. So I went and worked at startups. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So like I said, next stage of my life in the Valley is happening now. So we'll see what that looks like. We like to end by asking, what keeps you up at night? Uh, teledildonics. Um, that seems like a literal that, answer. That, is, <laughs> that, that could be a thing that keeps you up at night, bud. I assume this is from like a hardware manufacturing standpoint. Yes, from a hardware <laughs> manufacturing standpoint. It's difficult. Um, what keeps me up at night? That's a good question. I couldn't answer that without getting political. Uh, but um, that says a lot. Yeah. Come up a few times on the show. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's it's it, well, it affected us last year too, right? Like around this time last year, a lot of our clients could not get that next round of funding, hmm. and it happened across the board in the hardware space. I've been meeting 
with a lot of uh, colleagues way more experienced than I am in, in getting products to market. And they're like, oh yeah, we had to step away from that hmm. because uh, things just try to, people put their hands in their pockets. Um, you know, I, I feel like it might get a little better, but I think just it's uh, it's probably a good thing, honestly. I think the market needed a, I think the whole space needed somewhat of a correction, mm-hmm. right? And you see things like Pebble and, uh, you know, Fitbit and people just having to correct and you know, figure out their next move. I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, very telling, you know. Or maybe there's just too many wrist startup companies. <laughs> right. Like I said, there's <laughs> I only have two wrists. <laughs> yeah, I only have two wrists. Exactly. Too many but, companies, you know. But uh, have you ever thought about like a connected ankle bracelet? Oh shit! Nice. Let's let's talk. Man, about you're all <laughs> yeah. over it. Yeah. This is the future. Yeah. So, did I drop teledildonics yet? You did. Yeah. Okay. Great. You, sa- you said so that word. Yeah. And then I said uh, I did drop uh, dork bone. Drop cam. Yeah. Drop cam. <laughs> cool. All over it. <laughs> yeah. That's your D and D. That is my D and D. Yeah. I'm, you know what, guys? I'm just a geek. Mm. Just into that shit. I feel yeah. you. Yeah. I like to see. I like the intersection of media and technology, and like seeing how that crosses over. You know. Um, it's just always been super fascinating to me. So, what's your ideal TV? Ooh, um, my ideal TV is. So I'm still a huge believer of the black rectangle. Okay. Right. I think. Uh, I think it's uh, like I miss it when I don't have it. You know, like if I don't have a place where I'm like, cool, I can go over there and watch stuff. Or have like some kind of dashboard or something, you know. Um, and that's probably because I'm, you know, I was raised on every single console, video game console you could think of. Mm-hmm. But um, ideal TV for me is uh, big as fuck and super thin. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it just does. Uh, I would like for it to be somewhat movable, though, too. That's where things get a little weird with TVs. Right? And kind of conflicts with big as fuck. I know. Unless you could roll it up. Do some like solar sail kind of stuff. Oh, dude. Just, like, folds up. Yeah. Nice. Projection screen. Yeah, but see, projectors, God, there's so many problems with them, right? Mm-hmm. Like you always need that back backlight. Yep. You yep. know, it's really hard. So yeah, I've dabbled with all of them. But um, but yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for coming and yeah, taking the time coming. to hang out. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks Appreciate for having me. Thanks, Jerry. Ciao. That was 216. Thanks so much to John for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks to you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know your thought. We are again on Twitter at Design Details FM or come hang out with us in our community on Spectrum at spectrum.chat slash spec FM. Catch you next week.